Our first reading is titled, The Womb of Stars, by Joy Atkinson. The womb of stars embraces us. Remnants of their fiery furnaces pulse through our veins. We are of the stars, the dust of explosions cast across space. We are of the earth. We breathe and live in the breath of ancient plants and beasts. Their cells nourish the soil. We build our communities on their harvest of gifts. Our fingers trace the curves carved in clay and stone by forebearers unknown to us. We are part of a great circle of humanity gathered around the fire, the hearth, the altar. We gather anew this day to celebrate our common heritage. May we recall in gratitude all that has given us birth. Our second reading is the ancient scripture of Psalm 128 as reimagined by Barbara Gibson in the book, Psalms for Troubled Times, Prayers of Hope and Challenge. Love of Creation. Happy and blessed are those who love creation more than wealth and who walk in its ways. They shall eat the fruit of their labor with their hands. They shall be content and know that all is well. Their families are like the beautiful vine in the garden, friends and children like green trees in the yard. Those who love creation and keep its ways are rich and peaceful in their souls. May they live a long time in health. Peace be to all things. So ends our readings. sentence summary of the United Nations climate report was this. Boy, are we in trouble. <laughs> this phrase was uttered by Professor Sir Bob Watson at a press briefing last May when the United Nations report was released. Watson chaired the research commission that was made up of the member states of the United Nations. The 40-page summary for policymakers outlined the most comprehensive assessment ever of the impact of humanity on the earth and all life on earth. They drew on 15,000 reference materials and unlike most other reports of this kind, included in their study the stories, experiences, and wisdom of indigenous peoples. The report said that humans are speeding extinction and altering the world at an unprecedented pace. We have caused the extinction of thousands of species and one million more are at risk. 
One million species are at risk of extinction. The fossil record shows that there have been five mass extinctions where as much as 95% of species disappeared. We are now on our way to the sixth mass extinction. This is the only one that has been human-caused. Our level of consumption has polluted the land, the water, and the air. Our need for more food and more energy are the drivers of this rush toward a mass extinction. As Watson put it, our actions over the past 50 years have made the scratches of human impact on the earth throughout history into deep scars. Our history of commodifying nature by putting a financial value on the natural world has allowed us to treat the earth like any other product in the marketplace and ignore the full and sometimes unknown value of nature. It allows us to ignore the true value that nature gives to humans. Boy, are we in trouble. The same week that the UN study came out, the Guardian News Service released an update to their style guide, stating that they would no longer be using the term climate change because it does not reflect the seriousness of the situation that we are in. Instead, they will use climate crisis, emergency, or breakdown. They are also changing their language about climate skeptics, saying that skeptics are seekers of the truth, looking for information when they have not yet reached a conclusion. Instead, the Guardian will use the term climate denier to describe those who deny the overwhelming scientific evidence that human activity is causing climate chaos. There have been several reports released since in these recent months calling for us to wake up and change our relationship with the Earth. As I take in the news lately, I despair. I get angry and I weep. Perhaps you have had this experience too. It is too much, too much to take in, too much to hold, just too much. I try to remember to breathe. All is not lost, the UN report tells us. There is hope. These trends can be halted and perhaps reversed if we make, quote, transformative change in every aspect of how humans interact with nature. So what does that mean? It means we need to think about nature differently. It means we have to treat the earth as if we intend to live here. As the UN report says, we need to change the stories in our heads. We all have stories that we tell ourselves and each other. Those stories reflect our values, they shape our reality, and they influence our actions. In Western culture, our story 
is that progress equals more, and more is better. More money, more stuff. A good life means a better life than our parents had, and working hard to make a better life for our children. A better life means more. The heartbeat of our economic system is more, more, more. This is the story that many of us were told, and this is the story that we have told our children. Always more, never enough. And the story of more is reinforced by placing a financial value on nature. A capitalist economic view places a financial value on everything. When we commodify nature, we put a monetary value on something that cannot be bought with money. And that makes it easier to trade off things that are irreplaceable. We can estimate the value of feet of lumber or acres of land in a forest. How do we value the carbon dioxide removed from the air by trees over their lifetime? How about the value of habitat for threatened species? How would we value the experience of beauty or wilderness? Changing our stories is not an easy task, especially not when the stories are so ancient and embedded in our culture that we don't even realize that they're stories anymore. The story of nature as separate from humanity and as something that has no other value than financial is a story that is ancient and embedded in Western culture. It was not always that way. If we were to travel to Europe to look at the art of early Christianity, we would find images that show people being rescued from danger, images of healing, images of baptism with the waters of life. Early Christian art depicts Jesus as a shepherd, shows Daniel with the pacified lions, and Jonah of the whale story resting in the shade of a tree, John the Baptist baptizing the child, Jesus. Early Christian art shows beautiful scenes of nature, rivers of clear water, deer, doves, peacocks, swans. It shows a tree of life. It shows paradise. This quest to examine early Christian art is shared with us by Unitarian Universalist theologian Rebecca Ann Parker and theologian and activist Rita Nakashima Brock in their book titled Saving Paradise. It is a follow-up to their first book, Proverbs of Ashes, in which they argue that the idea that Jesus died in agony in order to save our world and our souls has contributed to the sanctioning of violence and war. They identified this idea of salvation through suffering as central to Christianity, a core belief of the Christian faith. 
But as they reflected further on their writing and listened in conversation with Christians of deep faith, they wondered if this was true, if salvation through suffering really was a central tenet of Christianity. And so, as they put it, they went in search of the dead body of Jesus, expecting that early Christian art would show the death of Jesus because it was so central a story to the foundation of Christianity. And what they found was that the images of the death of Jesus didn't appear for a millennium after Jesus died. As they put it, it took Jesus a thousand years to die. For five years, Brock and Parker traveled through Europe and the Middle East seeking out early Christian art in caves and in churches, in mosaics and frescoes. They found images of paradise in this world, beautiful scenes of nature, trees and clear water, tables overflowing and abundant with food and drink, animals and humans living in peace together, and clear night skies filled with brilliant stars. These images told a story of God blessing the earth with the spirit of life that permeated the entire cosmos. These images were of plenty and enough, enough for all. Paradise offered salvation through baptism in the spirit of life. Brock and Parker created a work of deep scholarship that shows the idea of paradise on earth going back 4,000 years to stories from West Asia and how these stories were brought into the Hebrew Bible through the images of the Garden of Eden. They show how these stories of paradise were used by ancient prophets to question the ethics of exploitation and war, oppression and violence. And they trace the history of Christianity over those first 1,000 years as it sought to find its power in a struggle with Roman emperors. They show how this new religion of Christianity adapted and shifted to claim and assert its power these shifts included moving gender roles away from equity and toward masculine models of leadership, establishing uniform beliefs and creeds as the basis of the religion, creating a fractured relationship with Judaism in order to differentiate itself, and placing humans above and outside of nature. The shift was away from paradise and toward power. The first crucifixes that we have, the images of Jesus on the cross, are from Northern Europe, dated in the 10th century. They were carved by Saxons whose ancestors were forced to convert to Christianity by Charlemagne's army at sword point. At that time and by those people, Christianity was associated with death. The crucifix tells the story of violence and death.
The subtitle of Saving Paradise is this, how Christianity traded love of this world for crucifixion and empire. This work shows how a religion lost its focus on paradise and life in a quest for power. The focus shifted from plenty and enough to more, more, more. This corruption of an ideal through the quest for power is not unique to Christianity. It is possible of any ideal because the pull to power and control lives within us. The story of more calls to that power. We have been steeped in the story of more for millennia. Our ancestors gave us a different story, a story that we forgot, a story that has been corrupted and suppressed. We have to reclaim all the stories of our past, and as the researchers in the UN assessment have done, listen to the stories of the first peoples who have not lost images of paradise, those in frontline communities who will be most affected by climate chaos. We have stories that would help us save paradise. The UN assessment says it is possible to make change, not easy, but possible. We have to change our story from one of domination, exploitation, and death to a story of equity, abundance, and life. We have to shift our focus away from a limited paradigm of economic growth toward a model of enough for all. This model has to be implemented at the local, national, and global level. So what's an individual person to do? Well, climate activist Greta Thunberg is showing us the way. Ms. Thunberg is the Swedish teenager who recently sailed across the Atlantic to attend the UN Climate Summit in New York City. She sailed for two weeks on a zero emissions racing yacht rather than flying on a plane to show that it is possible to walk the talk. Ms. Thunberg learned about climate disruption when she was eight years old. She is now 16. She was so disturbed that no one was, seemed to be doing anything about what she called a climate crisis. She started skipping school and began protesting outside of the Swedish parliament. She set an example picked up by students around the world who have also held climate strikes on Fridays leaving school to protest lack of activity to reverse climate chaos, demanding that we pay attention to their future. Last Friday, Ms. Thunberg joined a youth-led climate action at the White House, and she will do so again for the next global climate strike that will be this Friday, September 20th. The Thurston County Climate Action Team invites people of all ages to leave their homes, jobs, and schools to join at the Capitol building on Friday from 11 to 1. The Environmental Action Team of this congregation and I will be there. I invite you to join us. 
our young people are demanding a different story. We have to support leaders of all ages who will speak the truth that our survival requires that we accept limits to growth. Truths like limits in population mean support for family planning around the world. Limits in carbon emissions mean support for sustainable energy, sustainable transportation options, and support for those whose livelihoods will be impacted by change. Limits in the consumption by most of us is needed so that all of us can rise. We have to support leaders of all ages who reject stories of scarcity and death to embrace stories of abundance and life. The story that many of us were told leads us to have expectations of more, more for ourselves and more for our children. The story left out that more is not sustainable and is not good for all life. It denies our common heritage and that we humans are also of this earth. It denies that all life is connected. Future generations will look back at this time as a deciding point for change, or not. They will know which stories we have chosen. I know what kind of ancestor I want to be. How about you? A few days after the UN assessment came out, I was moved by the writing of journalist Margaret Renke. She spoke about the truth of nature that something must die in order for others to live. Birds eat caterpillars, snakes eat birds, people eat animals and plants. How do we not despair in a world where death is a part of life and nature is in crisis? Reinke writes this, I don't have the power to reclaim soil degraded by industrial farming practices. I can't persuade equatorial countries to protect their rainforests. I'm not able to affect in any way the irresponsible decisions of my own country's president, much less those made by leaders of other nations. But I can put up boxes for cavity nesting birds. I can cultivate the host plants of butterflies, knowing that some of their caterpillars will feed baby birds. I can make my yard a haven for insects and let the wildflowers go to seed. And I can remind myself all day long, every day, that there's a difference between doing something and doing nothing. That something small as it might seem is not nothing. The space between them is far apart, limitless, stretching distances apart. It is the difference between a heartbeat and silence. It is true that the resources of this earth are finite and that death is a part of our natural cycle. It is also true that the resources of the spirit are infinite, and that there is power in reclaiming a story of life. May we have the strength to remember and reclaim our stories 
so that we can embrace life and save paradise. May this indeed be so.